Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soundcheck, a brand new podcast here at Central Michigan Life uh, relating around rock music. I am your host, Andrew Mullen, a sophomore here at Central Michigan University studying journalism. Here's my co-host, Elio Stante. I'm a political science student. And hopefully throughout the rest of the semester, we'll be talking about various topics relating to the world of rock music and whatnot. I am looking forward to it. What about you? I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good time. You seem thrilled. <laughs> anyway, so today, since this is our pilot episode, we want to introduce everyone to the show and ourselves. We thought a really easy and fun thing to discuss about is our favorite bands. Pretty simple. I think pretty straightforward. I think we can muster talking about the bands that we hold dear. Without further ado, let's go. I'm going to let my co-host here start off with his band. Who's your favorite band? Let everyone in the world know. So my favorite band is Muse. And uh, I think their sound is just completely unique from any other band. There's not really anything else that kind of comes close to their sound. And they only have three members. You got Matt Bellamy on vocals and guitar, who also plays piano. And you have Dominic Howard on drums and Chris Wollstenholme on bass. And is, has that lineup like remained consistent throughout like their entire yeah? Like, there's career? A, there's only ever which been is like an things. anomaly almost in almost any style of music, but especially rock. Yeah, I, I find that interesting. I don't know why. No, yeah. So they they've only had three members that have just been through the their whole history, and uh, I think their sound kind of goes through almost like eras in their albums. There's they kind of do two albums that sound similar to each other or have similar themes to them so like first you gotta talk about showbiz and that's usually the album that gets the most flack for people not liking it so yeah that, that, that's kind of something we want to talk about so for anyone listening at home i am gonna come out in front with this i have not really never really got myself into muse then because when i was first starting to get into music that's when they're going through their quote-unquote dubstep phase is what i was heard from everyone so i was just like Oh, no, thank you. I'll avoid that. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I I, I kind of, I don't want to say avoided them, but I just really just kind of shoved them away. But one of, the, one of the things I did always see is that they're kind of like a Radiohead clone, especially with their first release or so. So why do people think that? I think it has to do with the vocals and maybe maybe some of the guitar work on their first album because Matt Bellamy definitely kind of does the Tom York thing. Yeah. Like on a... Okay, computer. Those are the those two albums, Showbiz and Okay Computer, really sound similar to each other in terms of vocals and even in some of the guitar work. But that's almost where the only comparison can really fall. I mean, if you want to say that Tom York does falsettos and so does Matt Bellamy on on later albums, I mean, a lot of singers do it. But I mean, I don't think it makes them sound just like a Radiohead clone. I mean, yeah, I, I what I have heard of Muse, I, I I can't really say that they're a clone. Like, like um, I know I checked out Origin of Symmetry, so I don't you want to get to in a second. But like when I was listening to that last night, it was just kind of like a I was getting like at least vocal, at least vocally, and I and I, I was getting kind of a Tom York like vibe almost in a sense, you know, from him. So I I, I like I've always kind of seen those comparisons. I I just never really understood. Never really thought that they would be really that, you know, that accurate of a statement. Yeah, I don't think it is because once you move past so, sort of an almost Tom York sound, they just vary completely in different oh, directions. Yeah, for where, sure. where Radiohead is a solely indie band where the music is a lot softer and more quieter guitar tones and quieter drums and more experimental. 
Muse definitely diverges right at Origin of Symmetry. The like the first song off yeah. that album is Newborn, and that's seven minutes long with a crazy guitar, heavy guitar riff. And then even you get into Plug In Baby, which is which might be one of their most popular songs, which is a really heavy guitar driven song during the chorus. Even once you get into Absolution, which is their third album, they kind of keep that similar sound that they had on Origin to Symmetry, where it's much heavier guitar tones and they bring in some piano elements too which is yeah, really so, neat well, well then well then let me ask this what changed from like showbiz uh like going forward like into origin of symmetry and absolution the change would definitely be in the style in terms of on showbiz they definitely had more of an indie alternative band sound mm. whereas once you get into origin of symmetry you definitely see it was like stupidly heavily distorted was when I was just like the thing I was going through my head especially with like newborn the intro yeah and you even you lots even, of crunching guitars in there and whatnot yeah you even get crazy experimental stuff like there's a song on origin of symmetry called megalomaniac which they yeah they play on an organ in an old European church is that where they actually recorded it yeah yeah okay. so and then once you get into Absolution, there's much more heavy guitar-driven songs mm-hmm. like Thoughts of a Dying Atheist. You have Ruled by Secrecy, which is a really dark piano song. Time is Running Out just has a sweet groove to it with the piano and mm-hmm. the way the, the guitar works. So those two albums kind of stick together well, for like, me. Again, as someone who was like 2001, I was three years old when Origin of Symmetry came out. So um, I obviously was not a music aficionado right there. I was probably listening to Blues Clues at that point. What were like probably the, I guess, the most well-known, like, I guess, fan favorites, like the biggest hits, I suppose, from this time period in their career? Are you talking about Origin of Symmetry and Absolution? Yeah. Okay, so off of Origin of Symmetry, probably Newborn and Plug-In Baby. Absolution, definitely Time is Running Out, Hysteria, and Stockholm Syndrome. If you're going to listen to those albums, those are like the ones that you pick out. So, and if if you don't think that Radiohead's a good comparison for them during this time period, like what band would you say that sounded kind of similar to them? That's kind of what I was saying. They don't really have a band that sort of mimics them. I mean, within this time frame, like of these albums, like really heavy alternative kind of sound like i'm I, you're saying that i i am i'm like trying to think of like i feel like i can name at least some i'm trying to think of like a band like with this stupidly heavy distortion with all this crazy heavy alternative rock and i'm struggling to come up with names because that's the thing i i really don't think they have somebody that really sounds like them because muse has just developed their own style that they've run with mm-hmm. and even on their first two albums first three albums they just widely diverge from mm-hmm. anything that's in the mainstream. So what came next for them? Like after like it was uh, Black Holes and Revelations. That was the next album, right? Yep. That was pretty much where they kind of came into the mainstream. It was Black Holes and Revelations, which you have Starlight, Knights of Cydonia that people played on Guitar Hero. And then you've even got Supermassive Black Hole, which is an awesome guitar and bass riff song. And then even more experimental, you have uh 
Map of the Problematic, which is just a crazy guitar distorted song, which is really cool. And then after that, you get their album Resistance, which really brought them into the mainstream with Uprising. Yeah, resistance. I, is it? So, yeah. so this is the kind of stuff where, like, I I can actually like. Okay, this is before you kind of mentioned them. I was like, okay, this is the stuff where I'm kind of like a little more familiar with them. Like when I work back at like it, it was 2009 when that came out, and that and it's still like when I work at um back at home when they have like the whole, you know, like the alternative station playing over like the mainstream alternative station that just came out in Detroit and they're playing. I hear uprising on that station all the damn time. Oh yeah. And it's just it, a good song. It, it, it's, it's definitely got like this really fascinating pulsating beat going with that song. I think it's one, I think even your casual rock fans would probably know. I think they were definitely, they were definitely mainstream eyes at that point, probably. Oh yeah. And I mean, Uprising, it's got catchy lyrics, a catchy beat. And that's the cool thing about Muse is that they always have off their albums is just songs that the beats are really good. Like the rhythm section in Muse is awesome. And because it's really neat that Matt Bellamy, even though he's the front man, he lets that rhythm section just go on certain mm-hmm. songs where he'll just be singing over the bass and drums. So that's something else I wanted to say. Um, so... They're obviously I, I know live they're a four piece and you mentioned, mentioned that to me earlier but like um like but primarily like in the studio they're a trio yeah. how do they get such a full sound out of a trio because that that because that's something I as I've gotten you know more I've gone through my musical journey throughout the last few years it's something I really have grown to appreciate about them that they are able to pack such a punch in their sound with only three members I mean I think that's pretty crazy like how do they do it Matt Bellamy he plays guitar keyboard mm-hmm. he can even write string sections for classical yeah. music if you watch some of their videos where they like show you how they record songs they record them in places that have a really loud echo for the drums so that mm-hmm. the drums sound a lot fuller and more open so it's partially like their production techniques and then just each member of the band really knowing what works for each part where Matt Bellamy, he knows his own guitar style where it might be more heavy riff focus. Mm-hmm. So he'll save that to like the chorus. And while he's singing in the verse, he just kind of lets the rhythm section go and let that really pack the punch for him. So sonically, where are they in like their career right now? Because I know they're making this really weird like 80s space age shit going on that, that, that's like yeah. I, I've, I've heard sound clips from the singles that's what i'm getting from them and like i have seen like it comes out of like do, do you remember like was it what was that like weird like far cry game it was like like blood dragon or something it was like yeah based around the 80s like the the, the album art looks exactly like compared to the artwork for that for that little like spin-off yeah you know, so, add on to that what so, the hell's going on with them right now yeah they after uprising they really went in a weird direction with second law which that's the one where you get the dubstep. Yeah. And they definitely did more electronic kind of sounding stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of went backwards on drones, which is their most recent album. But the new album is called simulation theory. Mm -hmm. And the song that's sort of getting the most playtime from it is 
dark side and that I describe it as like a mix between Tron and like <laughs> an alternative rock. Okay. Because that's, that's really kind of how it sounds. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, 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 I just love when you can describe music in such weird ways. I think that's either a mark of like something really good in a fascinating way or really bad in a fascinating way. Well, do you enjoy the direction they've been going on in the past there's a, few years? There's some stuff that I enjoy and some stuff that I don't. They've fallen into, at least with Second Law, they fell into a weird trap of picking something that's new for them, mm-hmm. but then never taking it too far to see where they can go with it. They yeah. kind of play it safe, so it might not might not sound the best. Yeah. and But Simulation Theory really sounds like they listen to the Tron soundtrack <laughs> And uh-huh. 80s techno music and went, that's sort of where we want to go with this. And they just incorporated their awesome guitar so the, riffs to it. In a weird way, they're kind of like, it's a really weird comparison to make, but they're kind of like, music is kind of like Beck, where they just kind of want to reinvent themselves every few years. And that's what they do. Every two albums, they just pick a new sound and go with it. But so something I've, I can truly respect. Like, I mean, that's something admirable there, at least. at least. Even if you don't like the music, at least they want to change what they're doing. Yeah, and Muse, Muse for, I think for every listener, gives them something to appreciate and listen to. So I, I think no matter what you like in music, you can definitely listen to Muse. But I this definitely... Po- this podcast is not advertised by Muse, by the way. <laughs> but I've, I've definitely talked enough. So your favorite oh, band, Andrew. I'm what do we got? So... Uh, for anyone, uh, you wouldn't know. I hope you wouldn't know, because that means you're stalking me. Uh, I have a very wide range in taste of music, mainly around rock music, but I, I, I can stray outside side of that sometimes. But by far, my baby when it comes to musical genres is punk rock. And for me, there is no finer band in punk rock than the mighty bad of religion. To kind of try to condense... This band down in a few minutes is doing them a disservice almost because they have such a, an expansive career that has just gone back decades. Like so, they they formed in 1980 and they're st- still going today, which is a lot more. Which you can it's a lot more than you can say for other punk bands from that time period. You know, you think the Dead Kennedys, sure they're technically still touring, but that's without Jello Biafra, so they don't count. I mean. Black Flag, they don't, they're still touring, but it's just Greg Ginn and other people. The Misfits, no, they don't f-ing count anymore. Like, as far as like bands with like key members still going, who still produce great music to this day, Bad Religion, I think by far kind of outranks most of those bands. Like, what much of Bad Religion did you know before? I think I knew like two songs. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. But what then, songs? What songs were they? I think it was We Are the Government because I stumbled really? upon that. Yeah, I stumbled upon that just wait, wait, on wait, YouTube. Wait, wait, you are the government? Yeah, yeah, you are the government. It's yeah, the first that's, that's one that's off kind of a suffer. deeper cut. It's interesting you knew that one. Yeah, that was that was pretty much the only one that I could name. Like American Jesus at all? No, oh, really? it might have been 21st Century Man. 21st Century Digital. Well, that one's like a big hit. So what is it about them that you like the most? Oh, Jesus. Well, pretty much the best way I can describe their sound and just a kind of nitpick genre, they probably are more part of the melodic punk rock air, like sound. Like they really, they have that really fast, almost hardcore punk sound with their instruments and the rhythm section and their production, but they also incorporate a lot of um, melodies. I think they're probably, I would argue, the catchiest band in punk rock, if you ask me. I mean, 
without going beyond going to full on pop punk, I don't think you'll find like a band whose songs will get stuck in your head as much as for me personally, at least as bad religion. Um, and they also incorporate a lot of three part harmonies. But again, that's getting a little bit ahead of, ahead of ourselves because they slowly the trademarks of a bad religion sound were slowly added over time. So that's kind of what I wanted. What I wanted to do was go into a very brief blitzkrieg over their career because again they've been around since 1980 they've had jesus christ so many lineups in 16 soon to be 17 studio albums we do not have the time for that ladies and gentlemen but uh just a quick intro the key members i mean there have been a lot of different members like i said but like the key members you want to talk about is greg graffin he's like the only consistent member who's been in the band since its inception uh he's on vocals he joined when he was 15 freaking years old what were you doing when you were 15 working i think that's about it I, I, I was a bump on the log at 15. I wasn't making f***ing music. That was for damn sure. Yeah, I definitely uh, didn't do anything Rick, cool like that. Rick Gruitz is, in a sense, on-again, off-again member. He left and rejoined two times, but he was there from the inception, and he's considered a very integral part of Bad Religion since, he's, since he and Greg Graffin are, like, the two primary um, songwriters. They're kind of considered, like, the Lennon and McCartney of punk rock They because they were pretty much the sole writers for them uh jay batland bass he kind of joined when it began left for a brief stint and i'll get to that later um and they came back in 86 uh brian baker he's still with the band he joined in the late 90s he's kind of the whatever the classic member of the of the band i don't want to insult him but that's kind of the case greg heston joined for of of uh, circle jerks fame joined them in 84 and stayed with them uh to 2013 and then brooks wackerman uh was probably the it was the most recent departure. He was the dr- longtime drummer from 2001. He's the longest-term drummer in Bad Religion history. He recently left to join Avenged Sevenfold. So essentially, f*** him shadows for taking Brooks Wackerman away from me. But whatever, we won't get into that. So, like I said, they joined in uh, 81, and so they formed in 1980. They they first off made a, a, EP, a self-titled EP. They got some fair reception, which eventually led to their debut album, probably one of the best... Uh, Song album names I've ever heard. How could it be any worse? Released in 1982. There, that's that's one core part of their their sound. Very cynical lyrics. Like they, they, sometimes you get some hope spots in there as well when it comes to like you know lyrical themes. But cynicism is a big part of it. But I think what was interesting is that the music is really upbeat. And the, See, when you listen to the tends, lyrics, sometimes yes, you know I think when you do listen to Fo- Greg Graffin's vocal performances, sometimes there is that ache and sorrow in there at times as well. Yeah. It does does trans- transmit it there, but sometimes, especially when you listen to like "Give You Nothing," it's a very high tempo upbeat song off that song off of "Suffer." Suffer. Um, it talks about like it allegedly talks about uh, Breck Ruitz's, um friend dying in a car crash. So like they, nice. they do tend to try to counterbalance you know certain dark topics with i guess more upbeat melodies and hooks and whatnot mm-hmm. at times uh the record wasn't a, so the first album like a lot of bands debuts isn't like the best representation of their sound they they were re- the production was really rough their th- their performances were really rough it's what you would picture like the standard like 70s hardcore punk band from that time like really like, like early circle jerks early black flags very similar to that sense but even then you can Again, they were talking a lot about politics and society and philosophy. That was one of the big cornerstones of their sound is talking about like it, talking about those kind of topics, which wasn't new for the punk genre, but I, I don't think anyone has done it as well as Bad Religion. No, they 
definitely do really well with the lyrics. I love the lyrics. Yeah, the lyrics bad are religion. probably my favorite. Either the lyrics or the melodies are like my favorite part when it comes to Bad Religion. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. So that re- that record did kind of well. Uh, can, all things considering, I think it sold about 12,000 copies for uh, a, a band releasing on an independent label from that time. It's actually fairly solid. <sighs> I've heard conflicting up stories on this. Either they got like really cynical about like the, how the direction the punk scene was heading in, or they just got so like developed this attitude. It's like, well, f- it, we're not doing any better than this. So their next album, their second album, is called Into the Unknown. It was prog punk, prog punk, and meaning it was essentially a punk album with just the cheesiest sounding keyboards ever. They would do punk sounding songs with acoustic guitars, four part like structures, seven minutes long. People didn't like it. Like people like, imagine a muse started to make country gospel music. That's the type of tonal shift they went through. Well, so now is it a bad album or is it just because so, bad religion had a sound that people really no, liked? It was a, such a drastic shift. People, and it was, now, not only was this a drastic shift that people hated it for that reason, it, the production wasn't very good. And when um, Greg Raffin and Brett Gruitz gave the demos to to Jay Bentley and I forget the drummer at the time, uh, when, he, when they presented like the demos for it, they went, essentially went, F- no, and quit right then because it was just really? that bad. Oh, and yeah. I'm kind of part of this. There's like a weird cult like following this album now has nowadays within the bad religion fan base i'm not going to get into that some people like it i actually kind of enjoy it i think because because a lot of like the three-part harmonies were introduced that would become such a core of the sound were introduced during this album but yeah that pretty almost broke them up like a lot of the band members left i think brett at that point had gone to rehab or something so greg heston had to come in they recorded a and of course they realized their mistake after that so they recorded an ep called back to the known do you get it and then uh Eventually, just almost died right then. But um, um, then came the golden year of Bad Religions. The three classic albums, which I think I gave you to listen to. Suffer, No Control, and Against the Grain. All uh, very good albums. Fantastic records. I think uh, Fat Mike is called Suffer, which is the first album in this golden period. The best comeback record ever made because of what they had gone through. Um, fan favorite song, Do What You Want, was introduced on Suffer. No Control, for me, is the greatest album ever made. Uh you is one of their classic songs, and as well as I Want to Conquer the World and Big Bang. I love Big Bang. It's such a f-ing aggressive song. It's great. I really like those three albums, but to be fair, they're, they, 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 the songs did blend together, and that's one of the criticisms, I know. Yeah, they really blend together. You could tell me the name of one of those songs, and I would... You wouldn't know it. I no. would have no idea, because... I even get the melodies mixed up sometimes, so yeah. I'm humming it along. It, it, it's how it is. Um, but if you're going to check out Bad Religion, I think Suffer is a really good place to start, or uh, their album later on, Straight to the Fiction. Because... Um, Starting after, because after that point, like going later on in the 90s, there's a lot of really bad shifts going on with them. Uh, rec- uh, they ended up signing with Atlantic, a major record label, a punk rock band signed to a major le- record label. So like, what what do you what do you think the term was being thrown around there at the time? Sellout. Oh boy, you betcha. So, so those albums that came from their time at, at Atlantic, um, what are they? So... Recipe for Hate is kind of a weird thing. That was technically released under um, their their independent label Epitaph, but then it was when they when they signed a few months later, they re-released it on there. But really, the only ones you have to are 
know are Stranger Than Fiction, which is probably might be the most commercially successful album. I think it's either that or New Maps of Hell. Um, but it had, that had the, the re-recording of 21st Century Digital Boy, which is like probably their biggest hit. Had Infected, which is, I, honest to God, the most overrated song in their catalog. And, um, oh yeah, the title track too. That was also another single from that. Uh, that was a very successful album for them. But that was the last album that was with Brett Gruritz in the band. He left uh, to, to focus on Epitaph, and he had his own drug issues. But so, are you saying that those albums weren't good? They, Change of Addiction, I think it's a very good album. And I think a lot of fans will work out that it's a very good album. After Brett left is where kind of the quality, the, the drop in quality that you're kind of hating at is where people go at. The Grey Ways came afterward. That was the first album that they, they made without Brett Gruritz. It's okay. Like it, I think actually I think it's a really underrated album, but like it, you could tell like the quality kind of dropped in the songwriting, and that was especially apparent on uh, uh, New America and No Substance. Those are honestly just not worth listening to. So, but then Rick came back in the early two thousands, released uh, Process of Relief, and um, shortly after Empire Strikes Back. So again, I have to kind of through these. New Maps of Hell came shortly after. At th- this point, this is where the sound really started to blend together. They weren't really adding too much of it. They were they were still doing their thesaurus rock, which means they were they used a lot of big words to describe their things. That was more of a staple in their late 80s or I mean, 90s output. But they, they were bringing that back in there. Three-way harmonies were more present than ever, um, just making really catchy music. At least uh, Descent of Man a few years ago, that was okay. And then... More recently, True North, that was, I think, a better album than Descent of Man. And supposedly they're making a new album now. I don't know how that is. I don't like the new single, but that's a very brief overview. So their new album is... True, is the, the latest album from 2013, Well, True no, the, the, the new album that they're making, and they released one track off of it. Yeah. Is, the Kids Are Alt-Right is what it's called. Is it a divergence from their sound? Yes, kind of. Like it's it's such a weird. The beat is so weird. It's like this dance, like this like weird swing dance beat that they're doing with it. it it's pretty completely neat. out of left field, and it really doesn't fit them. I don't think very well, and it's just kind of and you know lyrically. I don't want to get into politics because it's hard to not talk about this band. But like lyrically, uh, the song is slamming the alt right, but it, but it does it. But the lyrics are written in such a way where it's not like a super strong way of doing it. Not to say that they're like condoning it at all. Certainly not that at all. They they I just don't think they packed enough punch into the lyrics as they should have, which is a bit disappointing. But yeah, that's kind of the general oh, oh, overview of their career. They they've made tons of albums but you know that's just kind of I think that's why they're so good because they've been able to do that more so than any other punk man probably I had never I had never really listened to Bad Religion but yeah if you if you're going well, what, to what, listen what, what, to a new band like definitely listen to Bad well, Religion well I know you said a lot of, saw, said a lot of their songs were similar like what else was your response when you're listening to those three albums I found myself always tapping my foot along yeah. to the beat because the the beat is really it's a really fast tempo guitar work is awesome. The lyrics were great. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything about the songs on those three albums were all really good. Mm-hmm. It was just after a certain period of time, they blend even together. Though, even though each album is only half hour long, half roughly. hour, 40 minutes, maybe you, 
my my ears were kind of needing a reprieve yeah. from how you know, fast I, it was. For me, I like there will be times I'll just listen to Bad Religion for like a few hours straight, which is not the way I would recommend anyone listen to this band. They're they're probably better. I think for a lot of people, they're better in doses, and I don't mean that as an insult. It's just kind of how their their sound is. I mean, but again, I'm just kind of like addicted to them, like almost chemically in a sense to them, where I can actually stomach that and enjoy it. Too. Oh yeah, I get that. But you know, again, I, I don't know why. I just think out of all the punk bands, I think they're probably one of the more accessible ones, but also st- strongly bring, maintain those punk rock roots. So I think for that, I salute them as a punk rock fan. Anyways, now we're getting part of the show where we're talking about a classic album. Now, normally, when it comes to a um to to these shows, we want the classic album we pick. We want to. Uh, relate that to the topic at hand but since we're talking about our favorite bands it really wasn't going to fit so we're going to choose we chose an album that's completely different than Muse and Bad Religion we're talking about the absolute classic 1989 record by Faith No More called The Real Thing how long has it how long had it been since you had listened to this album before I suggested it I think listening to the full album, probably I had never listened to the full really? album. Really? But I know that I I frequently go back to certain songs. Yeah. And obviously Epic is the, is the big hit. The duh that. off that album the just duh. because <laughs> I like that. The duh. That's because be everybody thing. listens to it and it's on the radio. Oh, it's so really good song. It's a great song, but we'll get to that. So uh Faith No More. So, so they they were at a weird point in their life. Uh life point in their career as far as the band went. Their their previous singer, Chuck Mosley, had just up and left in during I think the middle of the writing process and they had pretty much everything down. Of course now they needed vocals and lyrics and whatnot. That's when Mike Patton uh, through this time was He was guess, a fan in in a lesser known band. They called Mr. Bungle and they were a really weird band and Mike Patton's a really weird man, which we'll get to in a second. But they they, they he kinda came on and wrote all the lyrics and did all the vocals to it really quickly. And that's why if you listen to this album, yeah. the lyrics and the vocals sound, they might sound weird. really out of place and weird, weird. to you because yeah. we'll get the to songs that, were but... written for somebody else. Yeah. So um, who else was on here? So like you said, Mike Patton's on uh, vocals. Let's see, we got Bill Gold on bass, uh, Jim Martina, Jim Martin, sorry, on guitar, uh, uh, Roddy Bottom on keyboards and Mike Borden on drums. So I want to yeah. say something. I think if you delete the keyboards off this album, you have a much better album. I hate you, and we will talk about that in a second. So uh, the singles off this record, uh, first one was the intro song from Out of Nowhere. Then came Epic, uh, I believe Falling to Pieces followed that, then Surprise You're Dead. And then uh, the the weird song, the, like the really weird song of all of of, of them, uh, Edge of the World was released. I think War Pigs may have been a single. I, I don't think it was. No, I don't. There think. were five singles. Yeah, I don't. War Pigs I don't think it was. was. What was song. What was your reaction the first time you listened to this? Album? Oh, that was many years ago. That was a. So there's a few things. First of all, I thought the intro track was a bit weak at first when I first. I, I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of From Out of Nowhere when I first started. I don't know why. It's just kind of. It's just kind of how it was for me. Like just something about. I guess the the songwriting and the riff just wasn't clicking with me. As time went on, though, I really grew to appreciate it. Ooh, 
Epic was just a crazy, weird thing. You know, I knew it was a single, but I thought this is kind of weird even for a single. You know, this kind of thing. Falling to Pieces was in my head for like months afterwards, and uh, Woodpecker from Mars is probably one of the most underrated rock instrumentals of all time. And geez, so, so those are kind of like the big things that came from it. I loved, 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 and I still do to this day, of course, the guitars on this record. Not only the playing, but how they sound. The production, as far as the guitars go, I know we're going to screen production and other things, but like the guitars, production's pretty solid, you gotta it's, admit. It's a 10 out of 10 for this album because who who's the guitarist in Faith No More? <laughs> uh, uh, at this point, it was Jim Martin. He, he knocks it out of the park. Every riff is spot on. Yeah. And playing War, War Pigs, we talked about it yeah. earlier. He does a such a good job. Absolutely. Like, it, can, it's not even just the playing that I like. I mean, I, I love the playing, don't get me wrong, but I can, I was probably more referring to like the sound, the guitar tone. Oh, they, yeah. Like, the, the, in certain points, like Surprise You're Dead, which was another uh, single off this record, like those, the, that riff's heavy. Those guitars are pretty heavy it's on like, that it's, song. It's almost a thrash it metal almost, song. It kind of is, but like Faith No More doing a thrash song. But like, but like, but overall, the album doesn't really have a whole lot of heaviness. It has some, like, but I, th- I think the guitars more or less have a lot of punch to them, but also create this sonic dissonance as well as this echoey and just like Crazy's grand, like, no pun intended, epic sound to the album. Yeah, see what I did there. I swear I said no pun intended. Never mind. Anyway, so yeah, I I just love how just how the instruments and the guitars just ring out on this album. I think it really adds to the effect. They really do work, but again, if you de- if you delete okay. the keyboards okay. off of this album, you so, have a you have a much better. So album. before we start recording, we we started to get a bit of a heated discussion about this. So here's the thing. I, for pretty much for the most part, I love the keyboards on this record. I think the keyboards are utilized in a very interesting way. I mean, if you listen to the title track, The Real Thing, holy crap, you have to, even the most subtle, like, bits of it, like, they have this constant, like, keyboard note ringing in the background for, like, the entire um, song. It creates this atmosphere and this mood that just, just insane. Like, just even the little bit of touches from it can really, um, really make it and you know fall falling to pieces i just lo- i love i love that intro i think the keyboard lines are slick in there and i think it's a really interesting way to lead into the song no because that's and and just like and even like the, the ringing from like the title track from like not the title track from the, the intro falling from out of nowhere i think just it's just the, how it dances with the guitar riff the keyboards it works magic because that for me is the problem when <sighs> i listen when i listen to this album that what they're doing on this album is they have a keyboard or a synthesizer that can mimic string like a string section and when you listen to it it's uh, now it just sounds so out of date and out of place whereas the rest I, of I the can album gives certain credences to certain parts of that record but no i begin it doesn't sound out of date on from out of nowhere it doesn't yeah, sound it does. out of date on the morning after it doesn't sound out of date on uh, the real thing, especially not on the real thing. I think because they, they use it very subtly on the real thing is the thing. It, it, and, it cre- and again, it creates this just epic s- soundscape on that record. I've, 
the fact that if you're looking at the entire scope of the 80s, you're going to like you're going to say, "Oh, Faith No More, their use of keyboards was like crap." I'm like, "Come on." Like I'm not saying it's crap, but when I go back and listen to this album, the guitar produ- the production on the guitar is really good. The production on the bass is really good. The production on the vocals and drums are really Excellent. good. And you could take the song Epic and pull it out and maybe release it today and it would sound really fresh. But hold on, bear with me. But when you take Falling to Pieces and you play that song so, now, the, that string section from that synthesizer uh, no, I just is very agree. out of date. I love that it's intro. It's just like... I think it's a beautifully slick intro and into that song. And here's the thing. Uh, for me, if, if you're going to ask like some of my personal favorite songs from this record, my two favorites would be Falling to Pieces and Woodpecker from Mars. I, re- I absolutely love those songs. And, uh, it, and for me, I think Faith No More... I, I th- Someone mentioned this to us earlier. It's like a really good pop rock song. And I think it's an excellent pop rock song that really utilizes the keyboards well. And it's not even the main, for certain parts for yes, but it's not even the main crux of that song. It's a, It's got a great hook. It's really catchy. And I, and even, I don't even mind his vocals on that track so much. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, Andrew, but it's wrong. And you're entitled to your even, wrong opinion as well. Because even Faith No More agrees with me that Falling to Pieces I is don't, not a good you know song. What? I think Faith No More is wrong. I just happen to the, think. I don't care. you, if you listen to this, the band has even stated that they don't like Falling to Pieces because it's slow, boring, and they hate playing it because it is well, out of date. they don't want to play it, that's fine, but I think they're wrong. Anyway, so... We kind of mentioned it earlier. What are like the three like main like songs that you should check out from this record? So I think we I think we both agree that Epic is obviously the big one. Yeah. It's a great song. I mean, maybe a little bit overplayed over the years, but like it's one of those songs when you're like in the middle of listening to it. You remember why it was a big hit? Oh yeah. It's just it's got again. I I think something else people don't give Mike Patton enough credit for is how like how dynamic of a front man he is. He can go from like hip hop to funk and like metal screaming on this record. It's crazy. I think. It really displays that on the epic. Um, the I think "Surprise You're Dead" is also a song we both really enjoy. It's another single. And even though we go, for Mars" is another song that we agree. Yeah. On. So and then I don't even know. I know you don't like it very much. I think "Falling to Pieces" is certainly one to at least check out. Don't listen to it. It's a. It was like the second biggest song from that record. But anyway, so those four songs I think are the ones that really we really enjoy. I think my songs that I would take off of this album would would say Surprise You're Dead, you definitely have to listen to that one. Yeah. Because that one's just a great thrash song. Yeah. And then I love Underwater Love. That's that's the one that plays at the end of the album, right? It's got the funky guitar mm, for it. Towards the end. So Underwater Love is... I've seen varying dif- varying differences on like what the last song is. Sometimes it's War Pig, sometimes it's Edge of the World, sometimes it may even be okay, sorry, from Mart. It's uh Edge, Edge of, of the, the World. World. The song about well Well, let's not yeah. get to the subject matter of the song. So so I mean even beyond the, the subject matter, I really like that song because it's, it's bluesy, it's jazzy, yeah, it's, it's got unique. a funky beat to it. I really like it. I it's think just it's just what I haven't really connected with much, and it, it's it's also that's a weird one because like a lot of like the vinyl, like the initial vinyl releases of that, they they would cut that one out in Warpix because it was just too long for the actual physical 
disc, I believe. Yeah. So I don't know if a lot of those were included with. The, well, but with them. I think I so think if, I, I, it's, it's just like a weird thing to me. I just the world. But I pick I picked that song because it's totally unique off mm-hmm. of the album. It's got a really great groove to it. Yeah, the piano on it is blues and jazz. The vocals are really good where mm-hmm. Mike Patton doesn't do too much of his nasally sound to it. And you know, I, I don't mind his nasal sound. I really don't. I, oh, I, I think it works for some people. And I think it works for Mac Patton. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a I'm not saying it's a problem on this album. No. But if if you're if you listening, don't like the nasal as much, obviously that wouldn't be a better one for yeah, you. Yeah, that one that song would definitely work for a lot of people. Yeah. Um for me again my my personal favorites again um falling to pieces Woodpecker from Mars, maybe even Zombie Eaters, perhaps it's up there. I know you don't like. I know you said you didn't like that one as much. Again, do you know what that song is about? No. So, it's just, so I think it's a great example of how weird Mike Patton gets with his lyrics. So the reason why that song, because that song is like a really slow intro to it, then and eventually for about like like one or two minutes in, it kicks into this really like this really like heavy, hard hitting rock song and whole reason is for that the the, the lyrics st- bear with me here are, are in the mind or like or from the, the eyes of like a temperamental like toddler like a one or two year old so like the reason that the intro is so calm and slow is because it's supposed to represent like yeah I, I'm, not, I'm not joking here like in like in i guess inception you know like oh it's entering the world a, a, you know a, a really young infant's like peaceful when it's you know not crying or whatnot it's really nice but then like when the rocks well the rocks part of the song hits it goes into its terrible twos phase it starts getting this weird starts envisioning this weird power dynamic it has over its mother like it starts like you're gonna get me the toys you're gonna you're gonna take care of me because you love me and if you don't i will be a nightmare to you it's so f- weird and i love it for that it's this is this is like it's the kind of shit you get from mike patton i think it's awesome because that's another thing that that we should mention is that the lyrics off this album can both be really serious uh dark yeah light and then also be really funny yeah like 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 epic could have some like funny moments to it but like there's like this you can take a lot you can take the, the interpretation of that lyrics in a lot of different ways but yeah Overall, um, it's a ten out of ten album. I I would no, you don't because falling to pieces is on there. I can I can appreciate the song <laughs> and I, I can separate myself I if, from the like, strings. I, I I tend to stray away from trying to give things like that perfect score, but like if Eight this is one of few um this is I, I wouldn't go that low. I, I would probably go nine and a half for me. So this is one of my favorite records of all time. I absolutely adore this record, and you should too. If you've never heard it, go check it out. Very good, very good album. So we're gonna end this this podcast off with a segment we want to do at the end of each one, where we give uh, each give our own recommendations of what you should be listening to. Now, this this may somewhat relate to the topics we're talking about, but more or less, it's just something we've been listening to, whether it's new or old. Maybe something you haven't heard before, and that you should listen to. Uh, do you wanna? Do you wanna go first? Yeah, I'll start. I think my pick would be she's an artist from Tennessee. Her name is Meg Myers. I've never heard of this person. She is a really gifted songwriter and guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think she's only got two albums and an EP out right now. Okay. She can definitely verge on sort of a country folk sound, but then also mm-hmm. belt out really cool, almost pop songs, mm-hmm. which is really unique for her. For her and her voice, she also writes 
some pretty dark and heavy music too. Mm -hmm. There's two that I can think of. There's monster and desire, which monster is just a sort of slow acoustic song. And then desire it's got acoustic. It's got a really dark violin in it. And then the song ends with it just like a blistering guitar solo. So is there an artist you can compare this person to? Because when you're describing this, this almost sounds to me like, do you know Marissa Nadler? No. She did. It's, when you describe that, I'm getting a lot of that kind of vibe. When you see like, you know, lots of strings. She, she tends to do, like, like lately she's, she's making folk music, but she tends to be adding a little, like, almost like drone effects to it. It's like really, really moody and pretty cool. Yeah, because Meg Myers definitely does some of that more moody kind of yeah. music to her. But she definitely, there's one song, it's... Uh, Bolt from the Blue, mm-hmm. which is a really cool, more pop song, which has got a really neat, just simple guitar riff in it. And she she partners with this yeah. producer DJ that it's not. Don't, I don't know DJs. It's not talk like to me about that. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not. It's not like she does techno and I wasn't saying that pop music. But the two of them write some really interesting music. Yeah. I would check out. Meg Myers, if you're gonna listen to, uh, is there an album you say to start off with, or no, even just I a think, song? I even. think I think the two songs you would want to check out is Desire because that's more of her more mm-hmm. dark folk side, which which features a really awesome guitar solo from her. Yeah, and then uh, Bolt from the Blue, which is it showcases a lot more of her vocal range and really interesting pop sound that she can do and probably kind of the opposite of that we got uh so actually no kind of not because the the the, the one i chose is a bit similar to the sense that she's a female at least used to be a female folk artist um her name is laura stevenson she she from my understanding she started off like making kind of like alternative folky music she was like known as laura stevenson in the cans i think that was her group before she's just kind of went i guess solo lately she's been doing this more like i guess Super indie rific pop punk or just like this indie power pop. I, those are the best ways to describe her sound. So the album I'm recommending is her pretty much the only studio she has like with this sound. It's called Cocksure. It's released in 2015. Um, this is really cool because I actually saw her open for local ska punk Michigan legends here, uh, Mustard Plug, a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, I was I was almost excited to see her as I was Mustard Plug, like genuinely. I, I really love this album. It's really, there's a lot of great hooks. It's it's super upbeat, but kind of like, has like a really like dour, I guess, like view of like herself kind of going in here. She's, uh, which is just really, makes it really relatable almost in a sense. So when you say it's folk music, are you it, talking it used, about? She used to be folk, folk music. This album I'm talking about in particular, she's like, Indie power pop or like indie pop punk. So, is there something that she sounds like? That is there? Is there another band or artist that she maybe sounds like that people uh, might oh, know? Uh, for, for this particular album, you know, I don't know. I can't even think of a off the top of my head. I have to think about that. Um, so, so they're, off- they're 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 indie power pop. She she sings in a very high register. They have really good hooks. Uh, the songs I recommend: Torch Song, Jellyfish is a big good one from here. Emily and Half, and perhaps uh, Happier, etc. The ones I like. What, what's your favorite song off the album? Uh, for me, it's probably Jellyfish. I know that's kind of like a not an interesting one to choose. That's probably like I guess her quote unquote biggest hit. It's not really like a hit, but like you know what I mean. So if anyone's gonna know her casually, that'd be the one that that's the song they would know. Okay. 
But like, but I, but because it, it's a great song. It's got a great hook, and again, it's kind of a upbeat song about feeling like a piece of shit. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> she's, that's essentially like I feel like a piece of shit is literally like one of the lines from that song. So again, it's a, it ma- it makes it very charming and relatable, and I think that's why I think I really like it. That's awesome. And with that being said, I think that is it. Um, this has been Soundcheck pilot episode. Hopefully, it went well. Do you think it went well? I think it did. I. Better than I expected, for sure. Like I said, I relate to this album, and I kind of feel like a piece of shit sometimes. But I didn't feel as much of a piece of shit on this album. And with that, and on that note, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.